What up, Hair Gamers? I'm sitting here with Donovan. Donovan, what is this episode about? Well, we are going to hear about meditation. Meditation. So meditation is something that has kind of become a buzzword recently and the whole mindfulness thing. There's actually, did you know that there's actually places like in retail centers, like like meditation centers? Did you know that? I did not know that actually. Yeah, you no. can, I think you can like subscribe, become a member to a meditation center and then go meditate regularly. Okay. It's a thing. Okay. Maybe it's just LA. I don't know. <laughs> it could be. But anyway, I've been hearing for quite a while that meditation is a very powerful thing. Many people I know who are extremely successful, not just financially, but you know, happy in life and stuff, they meditate. It's kind of become a buzzword and definitely a trend. And uh, I have never officially meditated. Have you ever? Uh, no, I had not meditated at all. O- officially or unofficially? Both. <laughs> Either. Never. No. Nope. Tried? Never tried. Okay. No. Nope. Never tried and failed. That's safe. <laughs> exactly. Okay. It sounded it sounded difficult uh, from when I was recording this podcast. You know, I was I was trying to pay attention to what you two were saying, but also pay attention to making sure the levels were good in the recording. So uh, it definitely takes a lot of focus, and that was me just trying to listen to the topic of of meditation, not even the actual meditation itself. Have you meditated since the recording of the episode? No, I have actually uh, waited until uh, we actually put this podcast together because I think it's going to be very helpful. Okay, so that implies that you're going to try to meditate. I will try it, yes. Yes, I will. Okay, me too, actually. Uh, I've never officially meditated until this episode because during the episode there was an official meditation from me. Um, It was bad. It was abysmal. (laughs) actually, and I make fun of it at the end of episode two, Um, but uh, I recognize that, you know, meditation has a lot of value. Essentially, you're trying to control your thinking to keep the bad stuff out, the positive stuff in, which I tend to do on a regular basis, and uh, that's, that's basically what meditation is. So I tracked down a master meditation teacher from my local Buddhist center in LA. Do you have a local Buddhist center? Where you live? I, I don't know. You don't? I haven't looked it up yet. But you can. I can, yeah. I bet it's on Google. Yeah. And I challenge this uh, master meditation teacher to adapt the meditation process for the hairdresser community. So this is a two-episode topic that we're releasing at the same time. This is the first episode. This is the intro for the first episode. And we will speak to the master meditation teacher and learn what meditation is how it can benefit us, and how to actually do it. The second episode will be a guided meditation plus some bonus content we think is valuable and funny. Uh, My hope is that uh, everybody is going to use this guided meditation regularly to get the benefit of a clearer, calmer, more productive, and more creative mind. And ultimately be happier. Uh, That is the goal of meditation and of course the goal that we should all have as human beings. Do you have any last words before we start the episode? Uh, no, just uh, this is definitely one of the podcasts where you do have to kind of, you know, put your full attention at it to really understand what it is. So, uh, yeah, pay attention. It's the biggest thing to get the, the best benefit out of it. Super valuable. I think you guys are going to love it. Tell us your name, where we are, mm-hmm. and what you do here. My name is Rebecca Gothier, and I am the resident teacher at Tushita Kadampa Buddhist Center, a meditation center that serves the greater Conejo Valley area. And our mission and purpose here is to teach anyone 
who's interested in learning from adults to kids to teenagers, the method of meditation, which it's our belief that through meditating, we can learn how to control our mind, cultivate positive, peaceful mental states within it, and in this way, experience inner peace and happiness, less suffering and problems, and ultimately be able to solve all our problems. You said a lot right there, and that was a lot of good stuff. Tell us what meditation is. So meditation is a mind that focuses on and develops a positive, peaceful mental state. So our whole approach to meditation is meditating on something specific. It can be your breath. It can be a positive, peaceful mind such as patience, love, or compassion. And what we're trying to accomplish in meditation is mixing our mind with whatever we're meditating on so the two merge and become one. We do a meditation on compassion and ultimately what we're trying to achieve is a deep experience of compassion, which is a wish for others to be free from their suffering, for example. Yeah, okay, so we are in, we have an intention to uh, think about a particular thing, mm -hmm. and we're going to try to get our minds in sync with that thing versus letting our minds go wherever. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that kind of, am I in the right area here? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that you're training in when you engage in meditation is something called mindfulness, which I know is a huge buzzword these days, mindfulness. And our perspective on mindfulness is really simple. Mindfulness is, it's a state of mind that's previously acquainted with something that you've already learned or understood. So let's take something like patience. Okay, what is patience? Patience is a mind that is accepting. From our perspective, it's a mind that wholeheartedly accepts something, having given up the idea that it should ever be anything other than what it actually is. And when we can experience a mind of patience, it's just this acceptance that we're experiencing. We accept someone for who and how they are. We don't wish for them to be any different than how they actually are. And in that space of patience, we can just abide in that experience. Mindfulness is remembering what it feels like to be patient and then being able to like execute that experience. What if you can't remember what it's like to be patient? What if you're so impatient that you <laughs> There's a lot of people out there like that, yes. I know. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's definitely true. Then I think it's a matter of becoming less and less impatient over time. So you're like, we talk about triggers. From one point of view, we're all very triggerable. Like it doesn't take much for a negative mind to develop because we just get triggered. Someone says something critical or, you know, there's a little too much traffic, we're running late, we start to feel stressed and overwhelmed and we start to get triggerable. And next thing you know, like something happens and an upset begins to develop in our mind. And so I think it's like this whole process that needs to be engaged in where we're just shifting little by little and our mind is changing slowly and gradually. That's the great thing about meditation. It's not these sweeping changes we need to implement immediately. It's like these small shifts and tweaks that we're making that ultimately cause us to have more positivity and peacefulness in our life. 
So for someone who has a lot of impatience, it's working on over time, not being so triggerable. So maybe that impatience arises in, uh, you know, provocative circumstances or situations that are really challenging as opposed to like little things that are more trivial because people can get impatient over almost nothing. And it's just, what's our capacity to deal with difficulty? It's strengthening our capacity to be able to deal with challenging circumstances in a more constructive solution oriented way, which is what meditation really helps with. Sign me up. <laughs> so it, it's, uh, the benefits are an accumulation of effort over time. So if somebody is, you know, on the extreme side of impatience, to use our example, then one uh, meditative exercise is, is not going to give them all the benefits that they could get over time, right? So, so ideally, you want to get in the habit of meditating? Yeah, I mean, the more consistent you are with meditation practice, I think the results just um, come like there's an exponential benefit in meditating regularly. Having said that, many people who come to the center and meditate for the very first time notice a difference almost immediately. And the after effects can really stay with someone depending on the power of that meditation. And I think any time anyone has the intention or determination to just even try to control their mind, because for the most part, we don't do that. That in itself is very powerful, and so it like lays a foundation for at some point to make some significant change or transformation over time. Just having that wish to try meditation, I think, is is really beautiful and important, and and that in itself is a shift because usually how we go about solving our problems and being happy is tweaking our externalities, like rearranging the furniture of our life, be it our job, our partner, our circle of friends, how much money we make. We really truly believe that it's our external influences that are the main or principal cause of our happiness and are also causing our suffering. Whereas what we teach here at the meditation center is the main cause for your experience in the world is your state of mind. And that's a very different approach. So that's why meditation is so important. You work on changing your mind because how often have we tried to you know, change something external, if we do get a good result, it's really temporary and limited. Whereas you want real change, real transformation and improve the overall quality of your life. We believe that means you have to improve the overall quality of your mind. Mm -hmm. And the more positive and peaceful your mind is, then the, the more happiness and joy, harmony and relationships with others you're going to experience because it's totally dependent upon your mind. I'm very curious where it started. Is there a, a one person who came up with this or at least wrote about it more than anybody else mm -hmm. so long ago? Well, he, here at Tushita Kananpa Buddhist Center, the approach and perspective we take is, is the Buddhist approach. Although most people who come here aren't Buddhist, uh, it's really open to anyone and everyone's welcome and people from all different religions and philosophical backgrounds attend our classes. And so for us, the root of meditation is Buddha because he mastered his mind. 
you know, he went off and he trained his mind for years, mastered his mind, and attained what we call, uh, you know, the state of enlightenment, which all that means is someone who's perfected all positive, peaceful minds. So that like patience is arising effortlessly, naturally, and spontaneously. Compassion, love, uh, being generous, cherishing others, having a kind heart, wisdom, effort, concentration, all these beautiful minds are just arising effortlessly, naturally, spontaneously. We don't need to work at it or, or even try to be patient. We're just naturally patient. And that's what enlightenment is. And it's also getting rid of any negative, harmful mental states like anger and resentment and jealousy and um, selfishness. Those are no longer being developed in the mind. And because happiness and suffering are ultimately determined by our state of mind, when you only have positive, peaceful minds and you've removed all negative, harmful states of mind, then you're happy all the time. And that's the goal and the aim and the purpose of what we do here is for people to be happy all the time, especially independent of external circumstances, because how we typically relate to life and our experiences is as if they were dictated by the quality of our outer conditions as opposed to the quality of our inner conditions, i.e. states of mind. Are there some people who, I imagine there's many different people and in their natural mindsets are different uh, as a result of their experiences in the past. And is it going to be easier for some people to reach this um, you know, state of happiness and con uh, control over their state of mind than others? I mean, I think, I think everyone as a human being has the potential to be happy all the time and really truly stop all their suffering. It's really going to be dependent upon just a couple of simple things. Number one, the belief that happiness and suffering is determined by the mind because if you really believe that and not just like intellectually but really believe that then you'll put the necessary effort and energy into a meditation practice which many people do and you know the thing about meditation is initially it can be challenging because what we're accustomed to is allowing our mind to do whatever it wants and so it does whatever it wants so we call ourselves human beings, but really we're more human habits in that what are our mental habits? If we're prone and susceptible to the development of negative minds, like we get angry easily, or we become impatient, or we just get triggered by something and get stressed out or overwhelmed, then that's the well-worn groove we've now established in our mind. And it's like our first response to something. Whereas what meditation does is it trains your mind to develop positivity and peacefulness as a first response, say practicing patience. You know, there's a lot of construction going on in this area right now and rather than get irritated by it, it's just like practicing patience and maybe thinking about, you know, they're trying to upkeep the roads so that they're safer for people to drive on and that's ultimately a really good thing and thinking in that way we just accept the fact that it's going to take us a little longer to get to our next destination and then maybe we plan for that by leaving earlier instead of faulting and blaming construction or traffic or how long the light takes 
for some type of problem that's really coming from our mind in the attitude that we've developed in response to something like construction. Right. So what would you say to the person who would tell you, I'm just impatient. That's who I am. That's mm -hmm. my that's personality. Yeah, that's a great question. A lot of people come in here saying, this is who I am, this is how I behave, and, and they just sort of Born label Born and them. raised. Yeah. They label themselves in a way that I don't think is very beneficial because here's the thing about a mind like impatience. It's a negative mind. We call it a delusion. And the thing is, if you start to relate to your mind as like, let's, let's give the sky analogy. Our mind is like this vast blue expanse. And when we have negative thoughts or feelings, it's like clouds passing through our sky-like mind. It's just a little bit of bad weather in the mind. So to so strongly relate and identify with a negative state of mind, like say impatience or anger, it's a disservice to ourselves because no one is inherently or intrinsically angry all the time. It's impossible to be angry all the time or impatient all the time. And when we collapse our identity with a negative mental state and then rigidly and stubbornly like hold on to that as who and how we are, it's just identifying with ourselves in a very limited way that doesn't serve ourselves or doesn't serve others. We're not open to transformation or possibility. And the truth is, you know, your mind, it, it, it has the potential to be happy and peaceful all the time. And it's just like, it's just a belief that needs to be shed. Like you are not your anger and no one else is either. We have this great, technique we use called living beings have no faults and that includes us by the way where we learn how to separate the negative mind from ourself or another person and we fault and blame the negative state of mind but we develop a mind of love and compassion towards the person and again that might be us because there's a difference between the two there's the person and then there's the state of mind and if it's negative then anytime anyone's under the influence of that negative state of mind, of course it's going to affect their behavior. And now they may end up hurting or harming others. And if someone hurts or harms us, what we train ourselves to think is, okay, they didn't hurt me. It's under the influence of their anger. It's the anger that's at fault. It's the anger to blame, but they are not their anger. So I'm going to develop compassion towards that person and think, May you be free from the suffering of your anger, which has caused you to engage in that bad behavior. And in this way, through developing compassion towards them, we don't have a negative mind that we have now towards them and we're not becoming retaliatory or anything. The compassion is protecting us from suffering because it's a positive mind. And we're correctly identifying the, the problem, which is it's a negative mind. And then we can think, you know, this person is giving me an opportunity to see how this works. And so I, myself, I'm not gonna get angry because it's not a good look on anyone. And there's many spiritual lessons that can be learned from someone getting angry at us if we choose to take that perspective and, and think about it in those terms. It's just a more beneficial way to relate to an angry person mm -hmm. than, oh, they're such an angry person, I don't wanna be around them. I can't stand them. How is that helpful? It doesn't help us, doesn't help them. And now we're stuck in this rigid way of thinking that they're an angry person. That's impossible. No one's angry all the time. Mm -hmm. They just aren't. It's almost like 
taking responsibility for your own mind. Yes. If you say that, you know, you're, you're, we keep talking about impatience, so I'll continue with it. If somebody says, I'm just impatient, it's, it's like uh, shedding responsibility for your own behavior and actions yeah. by saying that. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe the lazy way out, right? So many of the most successful people that I know meditate regularly. Mm -hmm. How can a hairstylist benefit from meditation? Oh, I think, I, I think meditation, yeah, for hairstylists could have a really powerful impact. You know, to me, because I've, I, you know, I've had the same hairstylist for almost a decade now, and, and I've had others in the past where I've lived in other areas. I think hairstylist, it's, it's a really interesting vocation because on the one hand, you know, obviously you're working with hair and so on and so forth, but I think there's a whole other facet to what hairstylists do, and that is listening and being supportive. And, well, depending on far, how far a hairstylist takes it, in many ways, it's, a, it's like very therapeutic for someone to go and get their hair done. There's this external beautifying, but when you're working with a hairstylist, uh, you know, you end up having conversations that can range anywhere from, you know, 15, 20 minutes to like three hours, depending on what you're getting done with your hair. And so it becomes this very intimate interpersonal exchange that tends to happen. And in my experience, that relationship can be very valuable and really positive and conducive to, uh, you know, um, happiness because people feel really good when they get their hair done. But the quality of that conversation, if a, if a hairstylist has the right mindset, can be mutually beneficial, not only to the client, but the hairstylist themselves. So it doesn't turn into maybe a negative or gossip or sort of meaningless, trivial exchange, but something that's really deep and powerful, which is what I currently have with my hairstylist. Every time we see each other, we catch up on one another's lives, but the way we choose to do that is through, you know, talking about the difficulties we've gone through, but the victories and the triumphs and what we've learned and, you know, supporting one another because that in itself is really important. And I think um, also being a really good listener, which I know I just said, but I think the listening piece is huge. And so if hairstylists are rooted in meditation where they spend some time in the morning and they work on developing positive, peaceful mental states, then when they go to their job and they're interacting with the clients and then also their coworkers and also the person managing the desk. I mean, there's so many human interactions going on in a hair salon every single day. The qualities of those interactions can dramatically improve and you know, hairstylists, like in any other vocation, face certain challenges. They can deal with those challenges in a way that is more constructive and solution-oriented because you know, they have to deal with difficult people. And, and how are they going to do that in a way where they don't lose their mind? Right. So, so the challenges are the emotional dump that they get oh, yeah. from a lot of their yep. clients yep. throughout the day. Uh, and I think their clients might take advantage of the relationship and the amount of time that they're there in yep. the chair, in yep. the studio, in the salon. Yep. And uh, they, they just start dumping because maybe their boyfriend doesn't want to hear it or their husband doesn't want to yep. hear it. So the, the, the hairstylist gets that onslaught. They're stuck. They're stuck. <laughs> they're There's stuck nothing there. they can... So yep. maybe other than putting on headphones, which is rude. 
So how, how do they, um, so tr let's try to be detailed on how they can uh, maybe defend themselves as the wrong, how, how can they, they take that emotional onslaught and turn it into a, a positive sort of thing? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's such a great question. And, and I think that applies to anyone, really. Like, how, you know, to me, I think I, a lot of it has to do with, like, how you show up and who you're being. And there can be sort of rules and boundaries that are established via, like, nonverbal communication just through your presence and who and how you're being. Does that make sense? And so, like... If, if you're Give me in, details. If you're engaging in meditation practice, like if a hairstylist in the morning is engaging in meditation practice, like here's the thing about meditation, five minutes a day can have a significant impact on your state of mind. Just something really simple. A breathing technique, getting centers, getting centered. To me, uh, for a hairstylist, like knowing the book in advance, like who's coming in today? Okay, and then like scanning the day, who's coming in, what types of personalities am I going to have to work with, um, where am I going to get triggered, where is, you know, is the person who does a lot of emotional dumping coming in today, mm -hmm. and it's mental preparedness, like, okay, how am I going to show up for that person, and I think there's ways to work with anyone where it's like if you, if you start the interaction where you're giving a lot of agreement to someone, then they're always gonna come back for more agreement. Because the thing about problems is, when we establish that there's a problem, what we do is we focus on, give inappropriate attention and exaggerate whatever that problem may be. And one of the ways we do, because we wanna validate the problem, is we seek agreement. So if we, if, if a hairstylist develops a rapport with a client where they're constantly giving them agreement and validation like that, then that person's always going to go to them about their problems because they're getting the agreement and they're getting the validation and they get to be, you know, significant and the star of their drama or tragedy, whatever the problem or the issue may be. And, and so it's like, how can you, how can you interact with someone without necessarily giving that agreement so you don't get in the habit of every time they come all they're doing is talking to you about their problems and that's the hairstylist setting the precedent of how the conversation is going to go from the beginning or if there's already been a rapport established somehow like shifting that by getting the client to start to focus on solutions or seeing it from a different way does that make sense sure. like you know, say someone, someone's coming in, all they do is complain about their boss. They just complain about their boss or their partner. A lot of people do that. They go to the hairstylist and all they do is complain about their significant other. And that's not a powerful exchange. I think that's disempowering for both parties. And of course, the partner who, the poor partner is getting beat up on. And maybe there's valid reasons for that. But somehow, like, getting the client to, to, to understand that, okay, voice the upset, articulate it in not like this long, drawn out, dramatic way, but like what's the, what's the actual problem? Like what's the difficulty? What's the issue? And then from there, try to focus on a solution. But this also has to be done really skillfully. And it's like 
the hairstylist can't say, <laughs> okay, now let's solve the problem. Like it has to be like really natural. It takes a lot of skill, but it's like, okay, he didn't do X, Y, or Z. Okay, and, and that upsets you. And you know what? I don't know, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's got stuff on his mind. Is he okay? Get, get some compassion or something positive to arise in the client's mind so they're not just like hammering their significant other. But somehow moving the conversation towards some type of solution. Does that make sense? Yes. And I imagine that in the shoes of the hairstylist, uh, a lot of them probably just wants to get the service over with. They they may not f- feel responsible to have to psychoanalyze the situation. Right. They they, they want to placate and mm-hmm. and say yeah 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 fine good and then mm-hmm. just be over it and then go to the next client right. Mm-hmm. So. So what you said makes sense, and, and I'm sure each person has their own capacity for dealing with it. But let's speak in a general sense. How, how does meditation help that hairdresser uh, protect themselves? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I would say in a couple of different ways. If a hairstylist can get in the habit of meditating, then what they naturally want to do, because some are addicted to drama, you know what I mean? Like they feed off that drama and it's, you know, a a salacious story or some like good gossip or something like crazy or dramatic, right? People tend to really respond to that because it's stimulating and you're standing there all day and we are in the habit of constantly being stimulated looking at our phones all the time, or there's always music playing, or maybe there's even TVs, you know, going on. So we have this habit of seeking happiness primarily through the stimulation of one or more of our senses, the more the better. And so that has to do with conversation too. And so I think one of the things that's really important is to understand where happiness actually comes from. It's an inside job. It depends upon your state of mind. And rather than look for hits of happiness outside your mind, just like train yourself to develop positive, peaceful mental states that feel really, really good and don't have anything to do with anything external, understanding where happiness really, truly comes from and not seeking that stimulation like externally because we all are in that habit of doing that. And then just having a level of centeredness where then we can, you know, like a hairstylist can approach their job with that. And when you're on that level, like when you're spiritually training, the, the type of person you appear in your life is different. And then the way they behave is also different. And so if you're sourcing all that, then who you're going to attract as a client is going to be someone that's going to have a meaningful conversation that isn't necessarily going to be emotional dumping, or if there is something that they need to get off their chest, then they're going to do it like quickly and without needing anything from you. And if, if we, if you could just like create the space for that client to come in and what actually happens is they chill out and they become relaxed and maybe there isn't even a lot of talking that happens or the quality of that conversation is vastly different. It's like you're kind of sourcing that whole experience through who you're being 
and meditation is a big part of that in that like you're training your mind, you're controlling your mind, you have positive peaceful mental states and you can positively influence someone without even necessarily having to say anything. And this is where the power of listening comes in, like just maybe listening, not feeling the need to input anything. And sometimes people just want to be heard. Listening is so rare nowadays. Most people are just waiting for their turn to talk. And then what they want to talk about is themselves. So just listening. And once someone feels listened to, they don't need to talk that much. They're just like talking at each other. You talk for maybe like five or 10 minutes. And then there's just like this comfortable silence between the two of you because they don't feel the need to talk about all their problems or anything like that because of how you're showing up the space you're creating, the power of your being, which is, uh, you know, being created by that meditation practice. All right, so I want to talk about some details relating to the actual practice of meditation. So how often do you suggest that somebody meditate? You know, I think, I think everybody's different, but ideally if you could, it's better to be, do less but more be but be more consistent than say I'm going to meditate one hour once a week. If someone can commit to meditating every single day, but only five or ten minutes, I'd say that would be a great place to start. So frequency more important than duration. Yes, quality not quantity. Yep. But you can you can meditate for what what was like the minimum amount of time. I had a student once that was a very busy person and they said, I can meditate three minutes a day. And I said, okay, do three minutes a day. They got an egg timer out and every morning they woke up and they meditated three minutes every single day for 30 days without fail. And they said it was life changing. So like three minutes a day can make a significant impact on someone's life. And everyone talks about, I don't have time to meditate. Uh, when you meditate, you become more efficient just in general. You actually need less sleep. That's scientifically proven. And so to me, it's like if you get in the habit of meditating, then you have, you make up that time in how you approach everything else in your life because you're not expending energy unnecessarily in upset and distraction and negativity and all this other stuff that's such a time suck for us. Through your meditation practice, you're removing that. And so there's plenty of time to meditate. And where do you suggest meditating? Does it even matter where you meditate or is it mind no, I don't space? Yeah, I don't think it matters. I mean, it's, it's good to, have, to be in a clean, organized space. If we're trying to meditate and our room is an utter disaster, you know, our environment definitely um, contributes to our experience. However, being busy modern people as we are, you know, I wouldn't say don't meditate because you don't have the perfect environment. Again, it's like that we always want to tweak something out there. The most important thing is having the intention and wish to meditate. And then if you, you know, have a small corner of your room that's clean and organized, you can go there. You can just sit up in bed. You know, you wake up in the morning, you sit up in bed. As long as your spine is straight, then you can just do a meditation sitting upright in your bed if you want. And, uh, you know, if, if you, you could go in the bathroom and meditate at work. You know, if the salon's really busy, you go in the bathroom, shut the door spend three minutes meditating, it really comes down to, um, like you said, mind space and, and the intention. Like, I'm going to meditate 
and, and pick a place. You know, if, it's easier to do if you create a ritual out of it, I think. But having said that, because meditation's a mind, you really can meditate anytime, anywhere, even while you're doing anything. While you're working on someone's hair, you can be meditating. You really can. It's just a state of mind. Positive, peaceful minds, what we're trying to develop and cultivate. That's what meditation really is. Patience, love, compassion are examples of these minds. And, and really, you can do that anywhere. But, um, you know, ideally, wake up in the morning, do it first thing in the morning when your mind is relatively clear. Three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, up to, you know, maybe 30 minutes. It depends on the practitioner. And it's better to have a short, sweet, concentrated meditation than be all over the place and say, I meditated for an hour when most of that was distractedness. Mm. And so it's just like get in and out, have a good experience, and then you'll want to meditate again. You mentioned the straight spine. Is that a mm -hmm. physical requirement or a suggestion? Yeah, ideally you want to try to meditate. There's like... There's three essential points to a meditation posture. The first is having a spine that's straight and not tense. And that helps with concentration. I mean, you, you could meditate laying down, I suppose. But the thing is, what happens is your, mind, uh, sorry, your body might get too relaxed. Then you may end up falling asleep or the mind might wander or drift off. That's how I go to sleep at night. Is, is I have to control the thoughts in my brain mm -hmm. in order to allow myself to go to sleep. Because if I just let my brain go wherever it wants to go naturally, I'm gonna, I'll be up for hours thinking about all these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, a lot of people struggle going to sleep, staying asleep, because their minds are so occupied. Our minds are very busy, our minds are very distracted. And that's one of the great things meditation combats. It's, it's learning how to let go of all of that through, say, focusing on the breath. And the thing about our mind is when you just focus on your breath and you let go of everything else, it naturally becomes very calm, clear, still, and peaceful. And, and that's what we want to encourage. We just, we busy our minds up and we distract ourselves to no end thinking that's going to cause us to be happy or solve a problem by thinking about it again and again and again. Whereas the Buddhist approach to meditation is shed all that, let all that go. That's a big part of the problem because when your mind is so busy and distracted all the time, it becomes like this perfect breeding ground for negativity to then develop. Whereas what we really need in our mind is space. And then when you have a lot of space in your mind, you can be more objective and solution oriented and think outside the box creative. and be more constructive. Yeah, and creative in how you're gonna solve the problem. Correctly identify what the problem is. And so, you know, sitting with a spine that's straight is definitely beneficial. Then we talk about a certain hand posture where your right hand is placed on top of your left with your thumbs lightly touching. And this too aids with concentration. And then lastly, the way we have our eyes is we hold them in this special manner, like slightly open, gazing down the bridge in the nose. So they're not closed all the way, and they're also not open all the way. It's sort of this middle way approach where you're gazing down the bridge of your nose, 
And what that prevents is a busy, distracted mind that wanders, but also a mind that can become heavy, dull, or lethargic, which is called mental sinking. And then, you know, a lot of people struggle to stay awake during meditation. And that's because they close their eyes all the way. And so then next thing you know, they're slumped over in their chair snoring or something, <laughs> which has totally happened here. <laughs> Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. And, and that's fine if, I mean, hey, I say if someone falls asleep, they're like, oh, I fell asleep. I'm like, hey, at least you were relaxed. Right. That's good. And that's how some people start. Every sure. time I meditate, I fall asleep. Okay, well, you really need to learn how to get in a relaxed state. And maybe yeah. it ends up being falling asleep. But eventually, through being mindful, just like, staying focused on whatever the object is, you won't fall asleep and holding your eyes in that way will help too because you can't fall asleep if your eyes are slightly open and, or it's harder to do so. Okay, a, a couple more questions uh, and then we'll actually go into the guided meditation. Can you uh, do it with others? Should yes. you do it by yourself? How does it work? Yeah, great question. I, I think e either. There's something to be said about meditating with a group because uh, you sort of feed off one another's intention and energy. And the comments I get here at the center is people tend to find it easier to meditate in a group because um, it's very powerful. However, you know, most people maybe because of schedules or whatever can't get to like group meditation as often like every single day even. And so learning how to meditate on your own so you have as powerful an experience in meditation I think is critically important. And it's like anything, it's a discipline. It's just getting in the habit and initially it's gonna require effort and it might you know, seem challenging or even awkward for some people or unsettling because we're so used to being busy and distracted and to try to stop all that is um, challenging initially for people. But again, like with anything, if you're learning any skill um, or even working out or doing yoga or something like uh, through training, because it's a training, through training it gets easier and easier to do until you know people comment to me, they, they, they can't not meditate. It gets to the point where you, your morning meditation becomes so established in your ritual. It's like you would never not meditate, just like you would never not leave the house without brushing your teeth mm -hmm. or brushing your hair, you know, putting on clothes. It just becomes that established a routine. Mm -hmm. And that's ideally what you want. Does the, is, is there kind of an inversion in the difficulty and results? So initially the difficulty is high, results might seem, you know, kind of low. But then the more you do it, that kind of switches. It gets easier and mm -hmm. the results seem more obvious. Yeah, I, you know, what people usually comment to me, and, and, and I'll be honest, you know, I got into meditation, it'll be like almost 25 years ago. When I initially started meditating, I, I, I referred to myself as a meta-hater because <laughs> I found it so difficult. I was 20, so my mind was like all over the place. And I studied with a Buddhist monk in Seville, Spain, and there were, you know, uh, there were um, meditators in that class who would just sit completely still and be focusing on the meditation where I was like sweating it out and like wanted to run out of the room screaming quite <laughs> honestly. I just found it so challenging because my mind was so uncontrolled. It was all over the place. In the past, 
in the future, you know, which is where we spend most of our time. We're rarely present. We're in a totally different time zone. And so we're missing out on life. And I think one of the great things about meditation is it gets you present. And so I, I, depending on your mind, I mean, you know, I, I had a very uncontrolled mind. Depending on your mind, it, it, it may take some time to learn how to direct our mind towards our meditation object. And we have to allow for that. Like with yoga, if, if you go to a yoga class for the very first time, you're learning a whole new posture series. And maybe it's like you can't even get your body in that posture because you don't know how to do it. But over time, you can get in the posture and then um, be able to hold that posture in the same way. Meditation, it's like first you have to shed this habit of always having a busy, distracted mind, always thinking about something, always entertaining every thought and feeling and just allowing the mind to settle a little bit and focus on one thing. You know, many people talk about multitasking. In meditation, you're doing one thing, and that's concentrating on one thing, whatever you've chosen to concentrate on. And a lot of people just find that difficult. So it's getting rid of like a lot of bad habits, but those bad habits are affecting the quality of your life outside of meditation. So it really is this holistic approach to living life because not only does your meditation improve, but also your whole life improves because we're removing a lot of the stuff that's crowding our ability to be happy and joyful and solve our problems. And that is like a lot of busyness, a lot of distractedness, negativity, faulting, blaming, judging, all the stuff we do. We're doing it in our meditation. That's what's coming up in our meditation. You learn how to stop all that, not through suppression or repression, but first acknowledging that it's occurring and then like letting it go and we do a breathing technique that just exhales it all out again and again and again. And sometimes for people, their whole initial meditation practice is just like letting go and then letting go of the next thing and letting go of the next thing and letting go. And the whole meditation is exhaling out all the busy distractedness. But eventually that time dedicated to that exercise alone becomes less and less until like within three breaths, all the busy distractedness is gone and now you can settle into a meditation on something positive and peaceful that's actually going to change your mind. It seems counterintuitive that uh, by, how do I want to say this? Um, it seems counterintuitive that by kind of relinquishing those tendencies for a kind of multi-channel thinking that aids in multitasking, which is, uh, I think many people would say is a, a good thing and necessary for them to get through their day productively, um, can actually help you do that. Mm -hmm. But that's what you're saying, right? So, so you, you, have to sh you have to forcibly um, focus on only one thing, but then after you come out of your meditation, are you saying that 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 helps you then multitask better? Here, here's the thing, from, from Buddhist point of view, like there's, you can't do many things at once. Like you have attention, you have a certain amount of attention that you can, and you can only pay attention to something really one thing at a time. 
So what we do is we develop this ability to, to have attention on one thing and then move to something else really quickly and then move to something else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's actually how attention works. Right. It's one of the fall, five all accompanying mental factors that accompanies every single moment of our mind. So every moment we're paying attention to something. And so it, really what we've done is develop this ability to have attention on one thing and then move to the next and the next and the next really, really rapidly. But you can't pay attention to multiple things at one time. Right. So you, know, you have to be shifting your it, attention. It's really just focusing on something and then very soon moving on to something else and then yes. very quickly moving on to something else. Yeah. And maybe uh, one aspect of that is, is knowing that you have three things to do, let's say, mm-hmm. and doing one without forgetting that you have to do the other mm-hmm. two. Yeah, and I would add to that, like imagine having such laser-like focus that when you place your attention on something, you get it done very quickly and efficiently and then boom, you move on to the next thing and you handle that because you have such strong laser focus and attention. I think most people attention. are afraid that they're going to forget those other two things. Mm-hmm. So they, they put themselves in a multitasking point frame of mind, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, kind of holding on maybe a little bit so they don't forget those other two things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely guilty of that myself, being, you know, a business owner and a mom as well. And, and so that's when, you know, the mindfulness component comes in, which meditation also aids with, just being able to remember things, uh, not forgetting them, being able to dedicate the necessary amount of attention to, you know, everything has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And starting something, going through, and then completing it, and then it's like you move on to the next thing. Sometimes we're so sporadic, it's like we're in the middle of like 10 things. The problem with that approach is then stress can start to develop or these feelings of overwhelm or now I have too much on my plate and we have all these balls in the air and now they're starting to drop. And with them starting to drop, it can lead to upset that swings one of two directions, either angry, resentful, blaming, faulting, or the depression, despondent, self-pity route, you know? And so we have to be careful of that and understand that at the end of the day, our attention, we want to direct it and just complete things and not put ourselves in a position where we're going to start to be stressed and overwhelmed. And that all comes down to knowing our capacity. Like, what can I handle? Why am I loading myself up? What's the reason for that? Is it to look good? Do I want to be praised? Am I attached to my reputation? There's all sorts of reasons why we do that. And that's really the question, like, why am I taking so much on? Who, who, what am I trying to prove to myself or others? Do I need to like, help people in order to feel loved or liked? And th- these are much bigger questions, but yet asking and answering them can help us make better decisions that are going to serve us so that we don't take too much on or we don't take enough on because we can give ourselves a lot of wiggle room and let ourselves off the hook too and not do things under the guise of, oh, I can't handle it. So it's like you got to find that middle way in everything is what we talk about. And meditation helps to clarify how to do that and, and what's the best approach for ourselves and also to know what our capacity is. Like I think knowing your capacity is huge and that means knowing yourself and a lot of us are too busy masking numbing and distracting so we don't have to know ourselves. 
or just like um, seeking those hits of stimulation and happiness and and meditation enables you to really get grounded and know yourself and know what your mind is doing and why it's doing it and address problems from the inside out and also you know happiness from the inside out because it's an inside job and in this way how you show up in the world and at work and for your families and your friends and your community and society as a whole is like the best possible version of yourself because you're rooted in a spiritual practice like meditation. So as a, a new meditator, how do you know if you're doing it right? <laughs> That's so common. Like I get that question all the time because in the beginning it's like, wait, it's, everything's getting worse. My mind is busier. I'm so distracted. Like, I don't My think I'm life doing is it right. Going to, yeah. 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 I came in here with, I thought I had one problem and that was like, you know, my partner doesn't listen to me. And actually I'm realizing I have anger, I have resentment, I, I'm selfish, I have jealousy, like all this. I, I think, um, you know, follow, finding someone you can trust. That's why like a teacher is so important. I think I have a teacher. I've been studying under him, like I said, almost 25 years. Um, finding someone who, who knows how to meditate is helpful. Then you can ask questions and get clarification or a source you really trust, like be it a book or an audio CD or something, something that you trust, a source you trust that has experience, that um, has some level of mastery. And then um, doing the meditations that are put forth and Ideally, you want access to be able to ask questions like, what about this? What about that? But if you're not in a situation like that and say you're doing it through, um, you know, an app or an audio um, CD or something, do those even exist anymore? Uh, or like, you know, doing podcast. a meditation, yeah, a podcast from a book. Um, I think just knowing that for a beginner, the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to notice how busy and distracted your mind is and you don't need to panic or worry. That's a whole part of the process. Mm -hmm. And if you're meditating correctly, gradually that should start to decrease over time. And if it's not, then you have to look at, well, is this the meditation for me? Because there's many different meditations out there. It might not be the one that's resonating most powerfully. And so maybe you want to try another technique and always rely on the ancients. I believe like, um, look at meditations that have been around for a really long time, like uh, taking and giving or black and white breathing, because those have like um, thousands of years of proof behind them in that, the, you know, it's technology that ex still exists today. That means that technology works. How does somebody who uh, dislike a, a meta-hater, how does a meta-hater find themselves <laughs> in Seville, Spain at a yeah. meditation center? Uh, at 20 years old. <laughs> yeah, I was on, I did my junior year abroad in Seville, Spain, and I befriended someone who I probably wouldn't have been friends with in normal circumstances, but I just became friends with this guy, and he had taken on a job translating for a Buddhist monk because he needed money, and he started translating for this monk, got interested in the whole practice of meditation, and told me, you need to meditate really badly get <laughs> you're out of control <laughs> you've got problems and so he's yeah you've got problems <laughs> my friend and he started dragging me into the meditation class and the and the monk was very cool he knew how to skillfully work for me because i was not into like spiritual practice at all i was into having a good time 
which was easy to do in Seville, Spain. And so he was very skillful with me. He was also an intriguing person. And I couldn't deny the power of the meditation. Even though I struggled, I couldn't deny the after effects. They were very powerful and I felt them. And also the community and the people. After the first time? Yeah, after the first time. I mean, I sweated out for a long, for years, I really struggled. But then when he talked about like having a positive, peaceful mind and how things depend upon our mind, uh, the logic was undeniable. And I began to apply those principles to my life and, and it improved it. And so, so, so yeah. those, those comments gave you hope and anticipation that you would see results through the meditation. So you went even though you didn't enjoy it in, in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's okay. kind of like when you take on like a hot yoga class uh-huh. and you're just yeah. dying. And you, you see that other you person. you know who, it's good for you. Right, yeah. And you and see, You're not yeah. in good shape, but you see all yeah. the people around yeah, 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 you yeah. who are in much better shape. Yeah. So you have that hope and yes. you, you anticipate that you will also be in good shape if you keep going. Yeah, and the teacher illustrated that it's like he and he was very patient and with me especially. You know, he just was very grounded and centered and very happy with very little. I mean, he didn't have a lot. Uh, and he was very happy. And I was like, okay, I would love to have that. I would love to be happy regardless of my external circumstances. And so, so to get there, I need to work on my mind, which was, you know, a colossal mess at that time. <laughs> and... And gradually, one meditation at a time, I learned how to better control my mind, to not be so triggerable, to not respond and react to things with a negative mind, to um, you know, see the positive, exercise things like gratitude and appreciation, which is so lost in our culture and society right now. And instead, there's a lot of entitlement and expectations, which breed you know, discontent and... Um, unhappiness and dissatisfaction and so you know there's a lot to meditation even doing something simple like meditating on the breath there's a lot of um, underlying subtext that's happening in any meditation you do uh, the root of it being you're just really beginning to understand that it's ultimately your state of mind that's going to determine your day like you're the architect of your existence what are you going to create today totally depends upon your mind Amazing. Okay, so I'm really excited for this next part, which which is a guided meditation that we'll do. Um, and it's not just you and I here, it's thousands of hairstylists who will be doing this guided meditation with us. So uh, you, you lead the way. What, what do we, oh, and by the way, we're going to cut our conversation as far as the podcast episodes go. And then the guided meditation will be its own episode so that the hairdresser can turn on the the guided meditation episode and it'll just be a meditation from the from start to finish all right guys how about that i really hope that you found rebecca's words as powerful as i did uh, donovan did you find her words powerful i did i i really understand now what meditation is and what you need to do to be successful at it do you think you're going to be good at it i'm going to be mildly successful at it i think you think so yeah all right I'm confident. You're, it sounds a little cocky. You sound <laughs> well, like you're a cocky premeditator. Well, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll see. I'll have to let you know. So but I, how, how will you know if I, if I was good or bad at it? I just have to take your word for it. Exactly, exactly. And as a meditator, you're going to be more honest to yes. the people around you. So, Truth. And more trustworthy. Truth. 
So the next episode, available now, uh, uploaded now on your podcast player, uh, will be a guided meditation right from the start. No intro. I want you to be able to replay this episode over and over, and, and hopefully you become better at meditating over time. That's certainly my hope. And uh, Donovan thinks he's going to be really good at it right from the start, so <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> All right. The first eight minutes is Rebecca guiding us into the meditation, followed by five minutes of silence where we are actually meditating. Okay, so your phone didn't break. Uh, you didn't accidentally pause the, the episode. It's literally five minutes of dead air, which is usually a no-no in the radio business, right? But that's that's what she suggested. We asked if she wanted to uh, play some music over it or anything. She said, no, actually, the silence is what you're looking for. Right, which makes this episode groundbreaking, which makes us trailblazers, right? As a, having a podcast with five minutes of dead air? I yeah, think so. exactly. I think we are innovators. Where you have thousands of hairstylists all focusing on their breath simultaneously. She will then ask you to relax your concentration and the meditation will be over. We then have Rebecca discussing some deeper detail, namely the five steps of meditation. This is next level stuff. Do you remember when she talked about that? I do, it's very, very high level and she goes into detail about these steps. It's good information for someone who wants to gain a deeper knowledge about the meditation. Right. But if you don't care to gain a deeper knowledge, you just want to meditate, that's cool too. And you don't have to listen to that part. Or maybe you listen to it once and you never listen to it again. Um, that part is followed by some behind the scenes commentary where I discuss how bad I was at it the first time um, You know, while we were recording the, the interview. So uh, let us know how you guys did. We're really looking forward to hearing this feedback. And I'll let you know how I did too. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Since you think you're going to be so good at it. <laughs>